Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. It's come to my attention that by virtue of Chris Paul making it to his first NBA Finals at the age of 36, he now has been catapulted into the top five NBA point guards of all time in the eyes of some. I can't tell you exactly whose eyes those are because, to be honest, I don't care. I've seen the names. I've seen the bylines. I've heard some of the voices. Some I recognize, some I don't. But I don't care. Their opinions are of no importance to me other than to make certain no one actually buys into such... I'm not sure what to call it. Recency bias attention-seeking, misinformation. To be clear, this is not Chris Paul's fault. He didn't declare himself a top-five all-time point guard, at least not to my knowledge. Nor would anyone in the league, an independent observer, an outside GM, coach, none of those would make that declaration outside of maybe his grateful Phoenix Suns teammates, such as Devin Booker. And as we know now, hyperbole among players today is the standard. They're playing with the best ever fill-in-the-blank. An immediate person who is looking to put that player on such a pedestal can use that declaration as proof or validation. Doesn't make it true. I shared with someone the other day that we, the media have lost our way and much of our credibility 
because of all these grandiose pronouncements. I believe the sports media is probably younger than it's ever been. A function of hiring practices that lean toward getting cheap labor that is just grateful to have a byline. So in, in many ways, I fault not the writers themselves, but the people who are doing the hiring and providing the platforms. And in some cases, you don't even need a standard mainstream media outlet to provide a platform. Somebody can create their own website, create their own byline. It gets out into the ether. Somebody picks it up or it's on Google search and suddenly it has gravitas. Look, I was once in that boat in terms of the cheap labor, just grateful to have a byline. The difference is that no one was allowing me to make grand pronouncements of who the best all time at anything were. Or if they were, since I distinctly remember in my early days where I would write for anybody, I would write anything for anybody who would pay me a buck. I did a top 10 all-time NFL tight ends list for Pro Football Digest several decades ago. But it wasn't given anything close to the weight that an established veteran writers uh, or veteran writer at the time would be afforded, which is good. It's only after being in the business for a while that I came to understand how much I didn't know, how much I still don't know, and how hard I have to work to make sure I'm not overlooking a pertinent element in any story, a missing perspective, a misconception about how something was achieved. And I certainly didn't have the independent wherewithal just to throw out my thoughts and ideas and perspectives where they would be on a platform that could be consumed by whatever audience was able to Google the topic that I happened to be writing about. Which brings me to the impossibility of Chris Paul being in the top five point guards of all time. Certainly not because he and the Suns are in the finals. And even if he and the Suns end up winning a title this year. The truth? Chris Paul has no way of ever getting in to the top five point guards of all time. Unless he has one of the most miraculous runs between age 36 and 40 that we've ever seen a point guard have. As of now, there are several immovable members of the top five. Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson, and John Stockton. I covered two of the three, and I've talked to enough legends about Oscar that I'm comfortable putting him right there with the other two. And I don't see a whole lot of pushback on Magic and Oscar. Now, I'm not going to trot out all the reasons no one or not enough someones have reached the necessary accomplishments to take Magic and Stockton seats at the table. I have yet to see anyone argue that Magic or Oscar doesn't belong there anyway. But I get the sense our current crop of analytics-obsessed, no familiarity with Utah in the 90s, or pre-2000 era basketball in general, media disciples are trying to slide Stockton over to the kids' table. What they don't know is that while Karl Malone is often in the conversation for greatest all-time power forward because of his scoring, it was Stockton who delivered the vast majority of those points. Or maybe they do know it, but they don't appreciate 
just what a role Stockton played in all that. Malone is second. Well, he isn't second. He is second on the all-time list, all-time scoring list. He isn't second on the all-time scoring list without Stockton. I'm not sure he'd be in the top 10. Give him an average point guard, a, say, one or two-time all-star point guard. He's not in the top 10. Malone didn't have some array of phenomenal one-on-one moves like, say, Tim Duncan. He could run the floor better than any power forward, and the guy delivering in those passes on the break was none other than John Stockton. The full-length bombs, one-handed. Stockton, I mean, uh, Malone had a little step-back mid-range jumper that he developed midway to the later part of his career, and he could count on getting the ball exactly where he needed it from Stockton whenever they ran a pick-and-roll. And he was very good at getting to the free-throw line. If you're asking me who was tougher, who I'd want taking a last shot with the game on the line, or at least having the ball in his hands, it wasn't the big power forward who finished second in all-time scoring. It was the little point guard. He ranks right at the top with the toughest, most cold-blooded, and fearless competitors the league has ever seen. What I don't really understand is even if you aren't aware that few black players were with options other than Malone, wanted to play in Utah back in the 80s and 90s, therefore making it very difficult to build championship-caliber teams. Or that Stockton played at a time when hand-checking was allowed and redirecting a player trying to make a cut through the lane was perfectly legal. That you'd think Chris Paul is somehow above him in ranking. And by the way, I was in one of the first meetings when the league made its first profound change in the allowance of physical contact on and off the ball, and they used a clip of John Stockton getting pinballed by one forearm or hip after another as he tried to get through the lane as an example of what they were no longer going to allow. But that was at the very tail end of Stockton's career. So he didn't have the benefit over his 19 years of the freedom of movement that Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and any other current point guard that someone would like to leapfrog over him had. So that's three spots in the top five already accounted for. How did this conversation begin again? On what basis did Chris Paul get forklifted into the top five past other such noteworthies as Isaiah Thomas of the Pistons, Jerry West, Jason Kidd, Bob Cousy, and Steve Nash. It just dawned on me in thinking about Cousy, who I have the least familiarity with and the hardest time making a case for other than (laughs) the Hall of Fame credentials, the countless uh, championships, etc. But what the real heart of the issue may be here is that we look at players today, their skill level and their physiques and the speed of the game and the acrobatics, and we compare them to the grainy clips we see of the Koozies and Jerry Wests and inherently think, oh, well, look, today's player's bigger, stronger, they shoot from farther out, their moves are more dynamic, obviously. The Chris Pauls and Russell Westbrooks and Steph Currys are superior players. Then it's just a matter of finding a few statistics that also illustrate a superiority. 
discount the old heads team or individual awards as being a byproduct of inferior competition and or a number of equally superstar teammates who are in the Hall of Fame and voila, you've built the slippery slope to slide them down the all-time scale. This is what is not taken into account with that logic or approach. Take Steph Curry or Chris Paul and put them in Kuzi's era or Jerry West's or even John Stockton's, and they aren't who they are today. They don't have the statistics that they have today. They don't have, in the case of Steph Curry, the rings that they have today. Uh, they also don't have the videotape and private trainers and the technology to measure arcs and wrist angles and everything else that goes into refining individual skills. They certainly don't have the salaries that afford them unlimited resources to train and recover. And they don't get to play with today's rules and style of play that overwhelmingly favors offense in a way like never before. Conversely, take Kuzi or West or Stockton and put them in the current era. And who is to say that their dedication to their craft wouldn't have resulted in what Curry and Paul have accomplished. Maybe, maybe not. And that's why the only fair way to gauge any of this is to look at what each points, point guard did in his respective time, both individually and with their team. Which means Chris Paul doesn't get to leapfrog John Stockton with his three assist titles when Stockton had nine in a row. He doesn't get to leapfrog him with his one NBA Finals appearance when Stockton had two. And I'd argue he doesn't get to leapfrog him even if he ends up with a title this year because nowhere along the way did he have to go through the kind of teams Stockton and the Jazz did simply to get to the Finals. Try Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, and Charles Barkley in the first round. Then David Robinson and Tim Duncan in the second round. Then Shaq and Kobe in the conference finals. All for the pleasure of facing Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the Bulls in the finals. Chris Paul doesn't get the leapfrog Isaiah Thomas of the Detroit Pistons either. Thomas didn't just win two championships, but won them back-to-back -back and had to go through both Michael Jordan and the Bulls and Magic and the Lakers the first year for that first title. And then Reggie Miller in the Pacers, Patrick Ewing in the Knicks, and Jordan in the Bulls the following year just to get to the finals and face Clyde Drexler and the Portland Trailblazers. Chris Paul doesn't leapfrog Jason Kidd, who led the Nets to consecutive NBA Finals appearances. And when I mean led, I mean led. Jason Kidd was the driving catalyst of those teams. And then played a role similar to what Chris Paul is now to finally winning a ring with the Dallas Mavericks. And who has five league assist titles to Chris Paul's three. And who was a infinitely better defender than Chris Paul. I can't even put Chris Paul ahead of Steve Nash. Considering Chris Paul has never even been a serious threat to win league MVP. And Nash did it twice. And don't tell me CP3 didn't have the necessary talent to be in the running. Not when he was on a Clippers team with the third best record in the league two years in a row. Not when Nash 
also has five assist titles and trounces CP3 in shooting at every distance and level. Is CP3 the better defender? For sure. Not better enough to outweigh all the other superior qualities Steve Nash had. It's okay to celebrate Chris Paul for what he's doing at age 36. I'm glad to see him reach the finals and appear to be relatively healthy. I love watching how he has transformed the Phoenix Suns and what he has done to elevate Devin Booker in a multitude of ways and DeAndre Ayton. Chris has made so many changes and worked so hard to give himself a chance this late in his career when it looked as if he'd missed his best opportunity due to injury or simply not being able to deliver in the clutch when it was needed most. That takes a lot of resilience and toughness to stay at it when you think that the boat might have already left and you're still going to grind after it anyway, hoping, just hoping that you get another shot. It's also okay to speculate if he's a top 10 all-time point guard or whether or not a title this year could secure him a spot in the top 10. You know, in the same way Stockton, Magic, and Oscar have secured spots in the top five. But let's not fall into the trap of thinking this run, this year, can do anything other then move him into that 6 to 10 range, which is a conversation worth revisiting if and when this year is over. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Have I mentioned lately my sponsor, my top sponsor, Mizzen and Main, M I Z Z E N A N D M A I N? You can find uh, their men's high fashion made out of performance wear at mizzenandmain.com. If you've seen me on TV, you see me wearing their shirts, you see me wearing their blazer. Uh, You haven't seen my slacks just because that's not visible on TV, but they've got those too. Check them out. And if you decide that you want to order something that they have, then use the promo code Buker, my last name, B-U-C-H-E-R, and they will give you a percentage off on whatever you purchase. It is the most comfortable, fashionable clothing that I've worn, and I've worn all of the top, uh, the top designers over the course of my <laughs> my TV career. I know that sounds like a humble brag. I, it's, <laughs> I don't mean it as such. I'm just telling you, I have Mizzen and Maine as a sponsor because I wore their clothing and I loved it. So give it a give it a shot, give it a look, if you will. Next podcast, we will be breaking down game two of the NBA Finals and see if indeed the Bucks make some of the adjustments that I suggested in the previous podcast. All that in the next episode. In the meantime, as always. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 